0: Benjamin Franklin said time is money and time in Silicon Valley is such a precious commodity that makes old Ben's wisdom particularly relevant right now. Our lifestyle has become the talk of the country almost ad nauseum. U.S. News recently stereotyped us as a people who pursue crazy hours, eat fast food, sleep on futons provided by our startup companies. In fact, I was interested in this summary quote. Optimism, self-reliance, and cash rule in this pivotal political state. Now crazy hours, schedules out of control, a chronic lack of enough time, these are challenges most of us face, even though we, we may not pit the stereotype of the media. But I came across a diagnosis that might describe this malaise of our souls that's afflicted many of us. It was Actually, I read a book called Speed, and I found this term in it. It was called Hurry Sickness. I want to take a few moments to consider what the Bible offers by way of a treatment if you feel you have this disease. First treatment for hurry sickness, cultivate the discipline to be still long enough to look up. Be still and know that I am God. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brings out the starry host one by one, calls them by name. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. How long since you took time to look beyond the hurry of your day to remember that you have a Heavenly Father who runs the universe and yet who calls you by name and right now knows every intimate detail that's going on in your life, and He cares? You see, when we forget that God is our Father, we are His children with a destiny that stretches into eternity, we get enslaved to the crazy schedules and agendas dictated to us by our palm pilots. And so much of the stuff we do we just know isn't going to matter a hundred years from now and that causes us this, this, as I'm calling it, this malaise of the soul. We're caught up in something but we know it's not significant enough to match our destiny as God's children. And here's our challenge. How can we be still in a daily environment bombarded by cell phones, beepers, laptops, etc. Well, I believe one purpose in coming regularly to worship. Why God planned it is He made us. He knows what we need. And every week, we need to get course corrections. We have to get our focus off what the world seduces us into thinking that's important. The priorities the world gives us, and we get them back on God and what's gonna be important 100 years from now, because that's what we were created to do. Last week, my wife and I took a retreat from the activity of Menlo Park, and we visited a place where there's very little to do. In fact, we go there as often as I can, and it always takes me two days to come down from the high that I live on in Menlo Park, the noise, the people, just the activity. But one night, after about two days, I was out looking at uh, the stars. We were about 20 miles off the Southern California coast on a little island, and you know, I saw stars that I couldn't even begin to see here, and they were all up there in their sparkling splendor. And and that moment kind of made me think, you know, I have a heavenly father and he made all of this, calls all of those by name. But even more important, he calls me by name. I'm his child, he cares about me, he has a plan for my future and he has a plan for the church that I lead. How long has it been since you thought a thought like that? That the God who made the stars is that powerful, that intimate with us. I felt a, a new intimacy with him in prayer, I need to tell you. In fact, it was in that, as a result of those kind of moments, I was able in prayer to sort things out that matter and things that don't, to sort of unclutter my life, to break the chains of the urgent and the things that are always top of the agenda. And suddenly, the burden of leading this church, which is crazy at times, and I wish you could all have a crack at it just to know what it's like. Uh, You know that burden was lifted because I realized what I forget, that God builds this church, I don't. And my Lord is as close to me as the air I breathe and when I can't carry the burden, he carries me. And I can't tell you how refreshing that is to know, but I had to be still enough to rediscover this profound treasure so I could break the handcuffs of hurry sickness. Being still and knowing that God is God works. I need to tell you that. I found this quote somewhere. Perhaps you can judge the inner health of a land by the capacity of its people to do nothing because whoever can do nothing letting his thoughts go where they may must be at peace with himself or herself an elder sent me this letter regarding this particular sermon you who are guests we give this sermon tuesdays to our elders and they give feedback and he said well you've preached on this theme many times it's always timely two years ago i decided to do something about this i was happy a sermon has an impact once in a while anyway I've relinquished many job responsibilities so I could start work later, finish work earlier, and generally slow down. I also wanted to do this to improve relationships with my wife and children, spend more time in kingdom work. I tell you this, this not to brag, but to tell you and encourage others to try it. It works. And this will be, I thought this was significant, this will be one of my main themes for the rest of my days a man who reclaimed his life. Being still, knowing that God is God, reminds us that life was meant to be lived, not merely endured, not rushed through. It's too little, it's too short to rush. The second treatment for hurry sickness, cultivate the discipline to savor the present moment. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. You've heard those words a thousand times. What do they mean? He's really telling us that to live for tomorrow, as many of us are, and that's the excuse we give for working and being enslaved to whatever, to prepare for the future, to live for tomorrow is not to live at all. Why? Because Jesus reminds us, tomorrow doesn't exist. It never will exist. Time is a non-renewable resource. We can't afford to squander it on the future at the cost of savoring, savoring the present. Remember that little song, Slow Down, You're Going Too Fast? You've got to make this moment last. We know that's true, somehow we just can't do it. Here's another story Ann Wells wrote for the LA Times. that sort of illustrates the point about waiting to live someday and sacrificing our lives in the process. She writes, My brother-in-law opened the bottom drawer of my sister's bureau and lifted out a tissue-wrapped package. He discarded the tissue, handed me a slip, and the price tag with an astronomical figure was still attached. Jan brought this the first time we went to New York at least eight or nine years ago, and she never wore it. She was saving it for a special occasion. Well, I guess this is the occasion, so he took the slip from me, put it on the bed with the other clothes that we were taking to the mortuary. His hands lingered on the soft material for a moment, and then he slammed the door shut, turned to me. He said, don't ever save anything for a special occasion. Every day you're alive is a special occasion. I think that's something. Of what Jesus was trying to tell us. Certainly we can resonate with these words of Jane Camfield. The happiest people are rarely the richest. Or the most beautiful. Or the most talented. Happy people enjoy the simple things of life. They waste no time thinking about pastures greener. They don't yearn for yesterday or tomorrow. They savor the moment. Glad to be alive. Enjoying their work. And their families. The good things around them. Their eyes are turned outward. They're compassionate. They have the capacity to love. How many of us are so caught up in providing for a tomorrow that may never come, so addicted to money and power and having an accumulation that we're losing experiences today that will be gone forever? For example, how long does a two-year-old stay too? I spent a week with my t- a two-year-old granddaughter, and You know, I I, I wish I could relive my kids at two, but I was busy building a church. You see, we only have one lifetime to do things and we don't get a second chance. One lifetime, for example, to get to know Jesus intimately and to love him and serve him and one lifetime to do kingdom work. And how much kingdom work are we not doing because we're hurrying, doing lesser things that won't matter a hundred years from now? being available for tasks of service, of loving and caring, giving ourselves away. Folks, this is the abundant life Jesus promised his followers, and it's not found in the life of abundance. That's a myth we're being sold in our culture, and those of us who are there have already found it's deficient. That's why I said we come to worship, to get course corrections, and this one's a simple one. Jesus would simply say, I have you here today to tell you one thing. Wake up and start living in the present, because that's all you've got and it's all you ever will have. A third treatment for hurry sickness understand like any addiction and this is an addiction cannot we can't we cannot cure ourselves <laughs> many of us know we have tried to cure hurry sickness by new year's resolutions and all kinds of self-effort and we've been unsuccessful unfortunately Many of us will resist the help Jesus offers us as believers until we're sick to death of the dysfunction and the pain associated with this disease that many of you are in the midst of right now. And this is true of any addiction. An alcoholic will deny their problem until they can't deny it any longer. The pain and the wreckage is too great. But when we're desperate with the symptoms of hurry sickness, this promise from Isaiah becomes relevant. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength and they'll soar on wings like eagles and they'll run and not grow weary and they'll walk and not faint. And isn't that a gift most of us who are weary or hungry for today? I wanna to share some insights of how to in terms of getting cured by Jesus because I, I, I don't know what to tell you. I can just tell you what's worked for me because I've been historically a type A super achiever. That's me and I've missed too much because of it. A first insight we must awaken to is the reality that finding a cure for this addictive disease is a matter of life and death. That got my attention. You see, hairy sickness is deadly because it can kill us physically with heart attacks and strokes, relationally because it destroys families and friendships, and spiritually by putting our relationship with God on the back burner, which is the worst thing of all and those afflicted face life more as an endurance contest rather than really living. A second insight we must awaken to is the truth that life of abundance is not necessarily the abundant life Jesus promised his followers. Simply because you're being blessed in the current economic revolution doesn't necessarily mean that's a gift from God. It might be from someone else if you look at the impact on our lives. Even the secular world is reaffirming the value of simplicity in lifestyle. The Chronicle featured a conference called the Voluntary Simplicity Conference, attended by hundreds, and it was described as follows <clears throat> A forum to help you develop your personal plan of action about making a difference, living with more joy, and we'll discuss how to reclaim our lives, our relationships, and our communities. That's a secular media production talking about reclaiming lives, finding joy, and relationships, implying that many have lost them and that's why the conference would hold attraction. The Mercury did a similar article recently on simplicity. After years of economic expansion that's buried our homes in Pokemon paraphernalia, shattered our serenity with screeching cell phones and assaulted our brains with nonstop television, we Americans have finally had it and now for the sake of our souls interesting term from a secular paper, our sanity and our fragile physiques, we decided to turn our backs on the fruits of prosperity. Isn't that an interesting happening? I think simplicity could best be described as getting rid of everything we don't need, can't use, and don't love. The things for which many of us are selling our souls to get. It goes on to say, it used to be cell phones, beepers, and faxes that made you important. Now everyone has them. And what makes you important today is getting away from them. Isn't that great? The new status symbols won't be things at all. Listen, from a paper, it will be solitude and time to relax. And you get there by slowing down, cutting back, and simplifying. Wow. Papers, preaching sermons, because that's a Christian teaching. Cultivating simplicity as Christians frees us to have more time to invest ourselves in God's kingdom work, work to which we're called, work which gives our life significance and joy, The problem is that the papers can suggest we do it. We Christians have an edge on the market, I believe, in knowing Jesus who can give us supernatural power to do what we can never do in our own strength. You see, simplicity gives us time to enjoy a relationship with Jesus. And I don't want to sound corny here, but if I didn't say it, I'd be less than honest with you. My time away reminded me that the most important thing in my life and I think in the lives of all of us is an opportunity to relate with the reigning risen jesus as a personal friend to have him as close as the air we breathe to start worshiping him and loving him and enjoying him before we get to heaven he is our life he's the greatest priority and our problem is we get put too many other things in his place and we miss the greatest joy of all that the god of the universe infleshed in jesus is available for you and me today if we just take time to enjoy him I think as Christians, we need to know that what we're doing every day counts for something more than self-indulgence or we're always going to have an inner itch that something's wrong. You see, what we do or don't do holds eternal significance for us. The third insight Jesus offers, like any spiritual disease, we can't cure ourselves of hurry sickness, so we need divine help. And how does it come? Well, one vehicle Jesus uses to touch our lives with his power is to become part of a small group. I started talking about that the first week I was here, many, many years ago, because I'm convinced big churches are deadly in that we can get lost in a herd and that change in our lives happens has happened since the book of Acts in small groups. I'm convinced we will never exchange that pseudo-high a hurried life provides and until we have found intimacy with our Lord Jesus Christ, and few of us can find that without the help of a small group people who pray for us, hold us accountable when we make commitments to do the ABCs of being a Christian grow in our prayer life, our Bible study, and taking steps toward the simple life to which Jesus calls us. That's about as countercultural as you can get, totally irrelevant to the, to the secular mind, and yet it holds the very divine power with which we as Christians can be cured of hurry sickness. You know, my small group has helped me greatly no longer to find my self-worth by being hyper-busy. And no person on earth took more pride in just being busy as my badge of worth. I want to tell you something behind the scenes. As your pastors, we are personally committed to pray for every one of you in this church that you're going to get into a small group. So know you're being prayed for if you're not there yet. You may feel some divine shoves. I really believe that because we want to take you where God wants you to be. And few of us are going to get there as lone rangers. So as you go home, I want to suggest something for you to think about. What if you asked your family or your close friends or work associates to write a short paragraph of how they would describe you as a person? What would you want them to say? What would they say? It struck me that few of us would want to be remembered simply as a hyper busy person, highly successful, perhaps financially and powerfully blessed, but a person who had marginalized relationships with family, friends, church, and God. That's a bad deal. But you know the good news? if you kind of identify with what we're talking about today, the Lord brought you here to say, here, good news. And the good news is there's still time to change. We can turn around any time. God can break the handcuffs of hurry sickness. It's just that we have to be willing to pay the cost of letting him do it. And so in this context, I pray the Holy Spirit this next week, week will lead us to think about and then practice some new disciplines. Being still long enough to look up Capturing and savoring the present moment and realizing we can't cure hurry sickness in our own strength, but God can. So we turn to Jesus for supernatural power and I'm biased enough to think he's going to use a small group for most of us. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, sometimes it's refreshing to get into church and find out just how countercultural the wisdom of scripture is versus the stuff that's fed us all week long. You brought us here for a purpose, and now use the seeds of your word to bring those changes you want in our lives for Jesus' sake. Amen.